On a blustery day in the Rocky Mountains, welcome to The Landscape, your show about America's parks and public lands. I'm Aaron Weiss at the Center for Western Priorities in Denver. I'll be honest with you, it feels a little weird focusing on public lands and environmental policy right after a failed coup inside the U.S. Capitol and then the second impeachment of the president. But while all of that is going on and rightfully taking up all of our attention, Interior Secretary David Bernhardt is keeping himself very busy pushing out a whole laundry list of rules and policy changes that could have devastating effects on America's lands and wildlife if they go into effect. So that is what we're going to talk about here today. I'm joined by Jenny Roland Shea. She is the Senior Policy Analyst for Public Lands at the Center for American Progress. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And back again is our Policy Director here at the Center for Western Priorities, Jesse Prentice-Dunn. Hey there. All right. So I just looked over the outline for this show, and we have at least 10 last-minute destructive actions to talk about here. I'm determined to keep this episode to a half hour or thereabouts, so let's just dive right into what is going on, starting with the news that broke late yesterday of the spotted owl and suddenly three million acres of critical habitat being removed from the owl's protection, Jesse. That's right. Uh, This one really got me fired up yesterday. Um, The spotted owl has long been at the center of you know, controversy in the Pacific Northwest uh, with timber industries and trying to save this iconic bird. Um, but what what sets this apart is just months ago, the Trump administration acknowledged that the spotted owl is at great risk of going extinct. It should be listed as endangered under the Endangered Species Act. But not only are they not lifting a finger to protect it, they're now cutting 3 million acres of its critical habitat. That's a third of its range. So, it, you know, this is a blatant giveaway to timber and uh, interests and it, almost like a single handed push from David Bernhardt to uh, to nudge this bird towards extinction. It's it's a really egregious rollback. Well, I mean, that, that's the weird thing is when we heard about this back in August, they said they were going to remove 200,000 acres of critical habitat. That, of course, was a lot and a lot of folks were very upset. But then how do you go from 200,000 acres to suddenly at the last minute, oh, no, 3 million acres instead. Is there is there any way that holds up in court? What in the world could David Bernhardt be thinking here? You know, I, I don't think this has a prayer of standing up in the courts. Instead of taking a surgeon's scalpel with 200,000 acres, uh, the reports are that David Bernhardt personally directed this massive increase. It's like taking a meat cleaver to its habitat. Um, without offering any new scientific analysis. So that seems like a pretty high bar, uh, not only allowing to the, for the public to comment on a substantial change, but uh, it doesn't seem on the merits like it can hold up. All right. So we have a, a really suspect action here on the spotted owl. And then you have this really big action that we knew was coming uh, on migratory birds and changing how the the administration, how the U.S. government interprets the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, and and Jenny, I'll let you start with this one. Just remind us what this what the Migratory Bird Treaty Act is and why this change is such a big deal. Yeah, this law, I mean, protects migratory birds, as it sounds like, and kind of what the change that the Trump administration did was to allow 
mostly a loophole for oil and gas corporations to, you know, not have to actively protect this bird. It now would only protect birds that, um, you know, are intentionally killed. And so it doesn't include birds that accidentally fall into an open, uh, you know, tar sands or something like that. And so, you know, it really leaves a lot of room for birds that aren't protected. And just to jump in here, um, this interpretation is is extreme and it has been pushed by the oil industry for years, particularly one of David Bernhardt's former clients, the Independent Petroleum Association of America. They specifically asked for the Trump administration to issue a legal opinion on this and then codify it through a rulemaking. And Bernhardt delivered. And one of the chilling things about it is uh, the New York Times did a really good investigation into this. As soon as the Trump administration lawyers issued a, a legal opinion saying you, you weren't liable for killing birds in an oil spill, they found that oil companies immediately started doing less to protect birds and that birds were dying. Uh, so this has real world consequences at a time when bird populations are already plummeting. So it's not just about the the big spills like the Deepwater Horizons, where obviously that becomes a poster child for the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, because that's one of the, the laws that BP violated. But we're talking about just small producers all up and down Wyoming and New Mexico, right? That's right. You know, waste ponds all over the West, uh, you know, pipeline infrastructure being built. Uh, so we're not only talking birds landing on polluted ponds, but... Um, you know, knocking out nests and so forth. It, it's pretty egregious. So the, the headline that I saw here uh, was Trump to birds drop dead, which certainly seems to apply both to migratory birds and to the spotted owl. But then you have these rules over designating critical habitats, which seems like it applies not just to birds, but all sorts of things. And, and this gets back to, to David Bernhardt, who spent a career trying to undermine the Endangered Species Act as a private attorney, and now he's finally gotten to do, to do it as Interior Secretary. Yeah, that's that's right. And, I, you know, if, if there's been one area where there's been the most concerted effort to roll it back, it's enforcement of the Endangered Species Act. I think some of this stuff has been so wonky that it's flown under the radar, but the changes in enforcement are egregious. And so some of the ones we've seen in the last couple of months are – uh, allowing federal regulators to really put a thumb on the scale when considering where to protect and where not to protect and actually have economic interests um, uh, such as extraction, drilling and mining drive uh, actions to, to not protect certain habitat. And additionally, rules that say you can't protect habitat um, as a part of you know, where uh, a species used to live or where it could live and recover um, uh, when climate change forces it to move, you can only protect areas where those plants and animals are currently. So really trying to restrict protections and, and have just little islands of conservation. Especially, I suppose, in places like the Arctic, Jenny, when where we know that polar bear habitat, for example, is by necessity shifting because the earth is warming up so fast in the Arctic. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And their polar bears, you know, are being hit from every side from the Trump administration, really. They have gone on kind of a land liquidation extravaganza in the Arctic and in Alaska. So there, there's many different angles there. 
I, I'm, and we're going to get to the Arctic in a second, but Jesse, give us a sense then how broadly these critical habitat rules could end up affecting species down the road, and how does that play into the decisions that we saw uh, late in 2020 to, for example, not list the monarch butterfly, even though the Fish and Wildlife Service says it is absolutely worthy of endangered species protection and being listed as truly endangered. That's right. You know, right now, nature is is hurting and uh, plant and animal populations are are declining. So we need more protections. Um, and, you know, it's ironic that the Trump administration is acknowledging that like the monarch butterfly, the spotted owl, the white bark pine, these are iconic species that are all facing extinction. And yet at the same time, they're moving to restrict the ability to actually um, protect habitat to allow these species to recover. And I, what I fear here is that we're not talking about little one-off um, species that aren't going to be missed if they go. We're talking about keystone um, species like the white bark pine, which provides food for grizzly bears and, and other animals. So it, these have really far-reaching consequences. All right. I, I hear everyone in the audience screaming at the, their stereo right now. Okay, so what can Joe Biden do about it? We're going to get there, I promise, but I want to keep getting through this list first because the what can we do about it answer is going to apply to all this stuff. So in terms of industry giveaways, we just saw this week this technical looking thing called the Office of Natural Resources Revenue Valuation Rule. Uh, and Jesse read through this while it looks technical. At the end of the day, this is just something else that was flat out written by the oil industry. Absolutely. Uh, this is something that the American Petroleum Institute asked for and uh, was delivered to them. So basically what this rule attempts to do is reopen loopholes um, and allow oil and gas companies to skirt paying uh, royalties to taxpayers for extracting publicly owned oil and gas. And I, I think of this basically like when you file your taxes. This is the Trump administration giving the oil and gas industry accountants more loopholes, more ways to reduce their tax bill and say, oh, the oil and gas we just extracted isn't that valuable. We don't have to pay you as much in royalties. So this is a, a open and shut case where money that would have gone to federal and state and local governments is instead going to be kept by oil and gas corporations. All right, let's head up to Alaska. And this is where I'm, I'm really glad Jenny is here because Jenny has spent a whole lot of uh, this past year focused on Alaska. And there is so much going on that even I have trouble keeping track. But we've got we've got two areas that we're talking about here, right? We've got the, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, and then we've got the National Petroleum Reserve, Alaska. Jenny, give us a, a, an overview of what is going on right there, because I know the developments are, are happening very quickly. Yeah, and I think it probably makes sense to start um, with the Arctic Refuge, uh, which is in the eastern part of Alaska. We're talking about the coastal plain, which, you know, in many circles is called the heart of this area. It has, you know, the caribou uh, breeding grounds. Uh, it has polar bears, so much wildlife happening there. And so this plan to lease the Arctic Refuge has been a disaster in the making since the tax bill passed in 2017, which 
um, included a provision tucked in there to open this uh, area to oil and gas leasing. So the lease sale that just happened on January 6th um, was underpinned by a rushed and flawed environmental review process. And then the sale itself kind of came to this logical conclusion, which that it was a massive failure. Um, just about half of the leases that were offered were sold, but it brought in only $14 million, which it, half of which taxpayers will split with the state of Alaska. And that puts, you know, the average to about $26 per acre, which is only $1 more than the very minimum that BLM said that you could bid on these uh, acres. And so that amount is laughable compared to the $1.8 billion that proponents promised would come from bonus bids on leases. This, in fact, has only one per of what was promised. Well, and and then the the big irony here is that most of those bids were from the state of Alaska, which gets half the money back of what they bid, right? Exactly. At the end of the day, three companies bid and nine out of the 11 leases that were sold went to the state-owned corporation, Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority. And yeah, they will get about half of their money back and will have to sell those leases to someone else to actually get development happening. And, and it's kind of hard pressed that they might do that because that, it does not seem like a popular decision right now. And, you know, one of, one of the uh, interesting stats that I pulled out, this is pretty obscure, but as Jenny mentioned, this lease sale only brought in $14 million, $7 million of which is going to go to the feds. And it is crazy to me that uh, the federal government spent uh, nearly $4 million on this rushed and flawed environmental review. So we're talking about just a, a flop of epic proportions where we're basically getting nothing. And I may be blindsiding either of you with this one, but I, I just saw today from Adam Fetterman, a reporter who does some some great job tracking this stuff, that the Justice Department instantly, like within days, completed an antitrust review clearing the way for the leases to actually be issued. Is there any way to actually do an, a valid antitrust review when it is the state of Alaska themselves bidding on these leases? And we've never seen this before and they get half their money back. Uh, it, it's, it struck me as just making it more likely all of this gets tossed out because they are rushing so fast. Yeah, I mean, the short answer is no, it's not possible to do an antitrust review in only two days. Um, regulations require that DOJ conduct this antitrust review as a critical step to determine whether bidding was done legally to make sure there were no anti-competitive practices or collusion among companies. And generally, this whole process takes 30 to 60 days. If you look at the past three years in the NPRA, those lease sales between the lease sale and getting the leases out is around 60 days. And so if BLM has conducted this review in only two to four days, including the weekend, you know, that varies wildly from the norms surrounding the NPRA leases and raises a lot of question about the legality. Um, you know, there are already questions about the legality of the participation of the state-owned corporation. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of red flags raised that the antitrust review doesn't appear to be comprehensive. And it would appear that this is the very definition of a rubber stamp, not a serious process. All right. So that's what's happening in the wildlife refuge. Let's head over to the other part, the National Petroleum Reserve, Alaska. 
Uh, Jenny, they're also trying to, to rush through a sale there. Exactly. So, and in addition to a sale that, you know, that we, we may not see, but there is um, a, the resource management plan just days ahead of the Arctic Refuge lease sale was finalized. The Trump administration finalized a plan that would open more than 80% of land in the Western Arctic to oil development. Um, so they're really rushing to sell off anything and everything before they leave. But this alternative would remove protections from six and a half million acres, especially areas surrounding um, or in that have previously been um, deemed you know, incompatible with drilling and, and really dependent for about 400,000 caribou. So it is a really important areas that they're opening up there. And then what's going on with seismic testing? I know there are permits going back and forth and they were rushing to allow this seismic testing to start literally as Joe Biden was, was taking office. Does it look like that's going to happen? And where are we talking about in Alaska for that? Yeah, so that's hopping back to the Arctic Refuge. Okay. The Trump administration is rushing through their application for an application for seismic testing um, submitted by Kaktovik Inupiat Corporation. Um, and they are in the midst of approving it with just super short sub 15 day pub public comment periods, most of which took place in that week between Christmas and New Year's. Um, and so there's an environmental assessment and an incidental harassment authorization for polar bears that look like they are going to go through just before um, President-elect Biden in, uh, an, his inauguration. And so, um, yeah, that, that looks like it could happen and there could be seismic activity as soon as I think January 26th is what's in the in the application. Welcome to your presidency, Joe Biden. What other resource management plans, Jesse, are, are we have we seen recently or could we see in the in the next few remaining days, hours of the administration? You know, staying in Alaska, one um, uh, that is not well known, but uh, covers about 13 million acres is a land use plan for the western swath of Alaska, um, you know, over towards the Bering Sea. And, and this is one where uh, we've talked a lot about drilling, but this would open up vast swaths of land uh, to mining. And there are a lot of mining interests that, that have their eyes on Alaska um, and developing it. So just kind of yet another um, attempt to lock in decades of extractive activity. Other thing that I had on my radar is they're just green lighting roads all over the place at the last minute, including in Alaska and then also including in, in California. What are we seeing there and, and why is it a big deal that they're they're rushing to get roads approved on their way out the door? Well, th these are some really contentious boondoggle projects. In, in Alaska, um, uh, the same state-run development corporation that bid on leases in the Arctic Refuge um, is also, uh, also wanted to build a private mining road through gates of the Arctic National Park and Preserve um, so that a copper company could mine out in the wilderness. And they got it. Um, they got it in part by hiring David Bernhardt's old lobbying firm to lobby the BLM for them. Um, but now we're going to see this private mining road built. The public can't uh, go on it. And it will it will impact, um, you know, local subsistence hunters, people at the park. And then another one just to point out that just came out today, actually, 
um, in, in southwestern Utah um, is uh, what's called kind of the northern corridor bypass around St. George, Utah, that is going to be a four-lane highway running through the Red Cliffs Desert Reserve and National Conservation Area. And this is um, notable because it's uh, prime desert tortoise habitat, which is <laughs> protected under the Endangered Species Act. So these are just boondoggle projects that they're trying to green light because they know um, a sane administration wouldn't do it. So on top of all of that, and this is where I just get to rant on my own because I'm the host and I'm going to say that I get to rant here. And I wrote a piece yesterday on the sedition in Washington and the fact that David Bernhardt is aiding and abetting that sedition with official acts on his way out the door. Uh, one of the things that he did very quietly, you know, buried it on New Year's Eve because he knew how controversial this was, was David Bernhardt uh, signed an order proposing the restoration of grazing privileges to the Hammond family. These are the arsonists who burned public land uh, in Oregon, were sentenced to prison and became the inspiration for the Bundy takeover of the Malheur Wildlife Refuge. They were pardoned last year uh, by President Trump. And as if that wasn't enough, Secretary Bernhardt is now saying, oh, okay, no problem. You can go back to grazing the land that you committed arson on. Uh, and he's doing this simultaneously with President Trump sending messages to the Bundys and all of their supporters come to Washington on January 6th. It will be wild. And on top of that, there's more. He's also signing orders undermining law enforcement at the Bureau of Land Management, where he surprised everyone at BLM, even apparently Mike Ned, the career top official at BLM, by taking authority away from state directors who know the situation on the ground and giving all of that law enforcement oversight to the top level office of law enforcement, which is run by or can be run by politicals. Uh, and that's important because that is a message to these crazy constitutional sheriffs who the Bundys were trying to go see when Lavoy Finnicum got killed. And these folks who insist that local sheriffs are the top law enforcement agency in the country and that they have authority over national public lands. And by, by signing this order, surprising the entire agency, uh, it is taking this law enforcement authority away at a time when these anti-government extremist militias are trying to partner with these anti-government extremist sheriffs and holding armed rallies at state capitals across the country. We've seen Ammon Bundy lead an invasion of the Idaho state capitol. We, of course, saw what happened at the U.S. capitol. And what I have been so angry about here is that it, it, it shows, finally, that David Bernhardt is not just doing industry interests here. He is taking official acts to help the seditionists. And that that's... That's different than even what we'd seen him do before. He is actively helping the sedition in Washington. And, uh, okay, well, getting off my soapbox, but either of you feel free to just chime in here. Well, Aaron, you didn't even mention that during uh, the flurry of holiday pardons from President Trump, um, he pardoned Phil Lyman. The, yeah. Uh, 
Utah County Commissioner who led a, uh, an illegal ATV ride through Recapture Canyon uh, in Southeast Utah, which is home to Native American cultural sites, and uh, showed little regard for that. So uh, this is just up, up and down the line, um, emboldening these extremists. All right. So uh, either Jesse or Jenny, what do we think is still to come in the final days? Could we see more in the Federal Register uh, between now and the 19th or 20th? I don't have anything specific to put on the radar, thankfully, but, you know, I wouldn't put it past this is this administration. I mean, what we're seeing right now is just a last ditch desperate effort by the administration to rubber stamp as many permits as it can before they leave office. And it all kind of speaks to Trump's record as the most anti-nature president. They have removed protections from 35 million acres of public lands and then some. Uh, so it's clear that they are rushing to sell off anything and everything before they leave. And I you know, wouldn't put it past them in the last you know, handful of days that we may see more bad things to come. You know, I've been tracking uh, the Trump administration actions, particularly at the Interior Department over the last year. Um, and it is a little depressing to report that in the last week, a lot of the high profile ones that were remaining uh, have come to light. And so, you know, there's there's not much left on the table, but uh, that's probably just a failure of imagination to think of some of the awful things that are yet to come. Well, and we saw stuff that can't even go into effect like this California Desert Renewable Energy Plan. Uh, they're just issuing a proposal to, well, Jesse, uh, get into what this proposal would do and why in the world would they do it now knowing they can't finalize it? Yeah, so the, the California Desert Renewable Energy Conservation Plan is really a landmark effort. Um, it concluded in 2016 after eight years of negotiations between conservationists, industry, renewable folks, um, to look at millions of acres across the iconic California desert and figure out uh, which areas uh, are the best to develop renewable energy and which areas you should conserve so that you can provide connectivity between national parks and monuments um, and, and which areas are good for recreation. And it was a real compromise deal. Nobody sued after it. And what we saw this week was <laughs> the Interior Department um, proposed to blow the whole thing up and to strip millions of acres of protections from it. And I think the notable thing, they weren't even hiding this in their press releases. Uh, this isn't to develop more renewable energy. It's to allow more extractive uses like mining um, and to expand grazing in sensitive areas. So it, it's just, uh, you know, it's a flag in the ground for people to use going forward. And, and there's no way a Biden administration would ever move forward with it. And it's something that literally no one was asking for. No one was asking for it. It's just remarkable. And the statements out of California have been strong saying, we didn't want this. Nobody wanted it. All right. So this gets us in our last five minutes to what the heck does the Biden administration do about this? You've got tools like new rulemakings. You've got executive orders. You potentially have the Congressional Review Act now that Democrats are going to be in control of the Senate. But even the CRA there is uh, it's a blunt instrument and not necessarily the right tool. Uh, Jenny, what are your thoughts on what combinations we will see where in terms of the right way to, to undo some of these d destructive last minute rules? Yeah, you know, I don't have a crystal ball to know exactly what, you know, kind of what we'll see. But I think, you know, the 
CRA, as you mentioned, is a blunt tool, but it is also an effective and a quick tool. And so I think, you know, it takes up a lot of time in Congress to use it, but I think we could see it used on things like these changes to the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, um, potentially, you know, other things, you know, really will take a lot of time for agencies to reverse them. Um, It takes a lot of planning processes and a lot of science when you're doing it the right way to take a lot uh, to um, get things done the right way. And some things like the Arctic Refuge, uh, you know, is really day one stuff. As we mentioned, seismic could be happening like almost the day after inauguration. And so I think a lot of things that the Biden administration will have to start with is, is just a kind of pause to review because so much is being shoved in these last couple of days. I think taking a beat to figure out, um, you know, nothing so that none of these things are kind of continuing to happen in in the early days of the Biden administration to pause and see what what needs to be halted now and what can be changed. And, you know, I'll, I'll offer one other glimmer of hope here. Um, the Trump administration, in particular, the Interior Department, has an awful record in the courts. Um, you know, they've they've rushed through a lot of shoddy rulemakings and judges have slapped down a lot of what they've done. And so I think what we're going to see, particularly with a lot of these midnight rule changes, is they'll be challenged in court and ostensibly a lot of them will be struck down. And so another quick way for the Biden administration to uh, turn the page is simply not to defend them and let them wither on the vine. And so I'm hopeful uh, that that will kind of nullify a lot of changes. Just agree with the judge and say, you're right, Your Honor, uh, this was not done correctly. We're going to go back and and correct the record. Exactly. All right. Well, I guess that's a a nice glimmer of hope after 25 minutes of a lot. I mean, I'm having trouble keeping track and it's making me angry and I was ready for this episode. Uh, (laughs) Jesse Prentice Dunn. Jenny Roland Shea, thank you both so much uh, for your time today. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. Well, obviously, we will be keeping one foot in the past and one foot in the future for the next few months as the Biden administration has to pick up these big steaming piles of dung that David Bernhardt is leaving behind. But first, Deb Holland has to get confirmed as Interior Secretary. Head back one episode in this feed for a conversation about what to expect from the Biden administration. That's an interview, by the way, with David Hayes, the former Deputy Interior Secretary, who was just announced as a special assistant to the president on climate change. So if you want to hear it straight from someone with President Biden's ear, go take a listen to that episode. And please drop us a line with ideas for future episodes. What should we talk about here this year? Who else should we have on the podcast? Send those emails to podcast at westernpriorities.org or find me on Twitter. I'm Aaron Weiss. On behalf of Jesse and the whole team at the Center for Western Priorities, thank you for listening to The Landscape and enjoy Inauguration Day. Inauguration Day.